Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Sports Yak. One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but... Somehow they meet in the middle. Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here. And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer. This one will be relived. Chuck Freebie. Forever. Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Jack. Sports Jack. It's Sports Jack. My guest is singer-songwriter Dave Barnes. I've been a fan since 04. I've literally met him once after a show in Chicago. But apparently we hit it off. Not only does he have a handful of albums you can track down on Spotify, but he's also written many songs with Carrie Underwood, Thomas Rhett, Marin Morris, Reba McIntyre, Blake Shelton, Hunter Hayes, Tim McGraw, Lady A, and more. Quick story, Dave tweeted out, hey, I'm on a long road trip. Any good podcasts with musical artists? One of the What Else fans retweeted him with me, may have mentioned that he should be a guest on this podcast. I also unleashed the fury on a number of episodes Dave should listen to. Long story short, Dave slides into my DMs. He's a guest on what else? Here we go. Look at that. Look at that. (laughs) The speed at which your neck moved, that your neck moved. (laughs) Well, I must say your narration of when you just went, look at that. I thought of Discovery Channel, like when an animal has been seen. Like you just you just see the head of it above the grass, sort of, and then it disappears back into the bush once again. Dude, this has been such a long time. How you doing? Way too long. Hello to you. What else with Corey Mann on the Studio DNA Podcast Network. This is three-pronged. Do I begin with Dave the podcaster, Mm. Dave the musician, or Dave... The nose model. The hand and nose model. Let's go Dave the human being. Oh, thank you for that. Let's start with mom and dad. Who are they? We'll never know. Uh, And that's really the origin story of so many superheroes, is you don't know. And that's what gets you interested, is how has he risen from these ashes? And we don't even know what the thing burned, what it even was. What are the ashes? No, mom and dad are thankfully still uh, alive and kicking, which I'm super thankful for. I'm getting to that age. I don't know if you feel this way, Corey, like where, you know, it's just, man, like any of my wife and I had this conversation the other day. We're like, we're like, this is, we're in the season of where you start getting these calls, like from friends and I got dark. Jeez Louise. Can you give me a minute? Just click. Okay. <laughs> no, it, they live here uh, in Nashville and Franklin. 
both retired. They moved here a couple of years ago, which has been amazing. It's so fun having them close. They don't listen to this podcast. It's been awful. Corey, can I be, can I re- just really, no, they're great. I love them. Dad is a retired pastor. And then mom uh, is a retired school teacher. You are a pastor's kid. BK. Yep. What's the sibling order, please? Yeah. So it's me as the eldest, which nobody believes due to my maturity level. And then I have a sister who's four years younger and a brother who's uh, six years younger than me. So, um, so we're, we're, uh, my sister lives in Memphis. My brother lives here. So most of the family is actually in Nashville, which is like my great, you know, I pulled this massive feat off and getting everybody here, but my sister's still, she's not leaving. She's in Memphis and her husband's from Memphis. So the roots are deep, which really bums me out. Cause I was like almost, almost hit for the cycle, you know, and then <clears throat> so close, but I'll take Memphis. Was there ever any talk of a sibling singing group entitled Barnes? <laughs> it was going to be past tense. So it was Barnes. So you got Barnes. We had the shirts. Barnstormers was in the running. Never, you know, music is an interesting thing for me because I didn't really get into it until really college. Like I loved music growing up, but uh, I'm not one of those that is sort of like, you know, I grew up doing it. I knew that's what I wanted to do. You know, I had posters of Carmen or David Lee Roth, whoever, you know, pick your poison on my on my walls. I did love music. I loved music really starting in like middle school, high school. But I mean, that that's one of my favorite things about doing this as a living is I just, John McLaughlin, now my co-host on Dadville, the podcast I do, but he and I laugh about this all the time. Like, what would your 17-year-old self say to yourself now? And mine would be like, it, it was just so far off the plan for me. Not that there was a plan. Maybe that's the problem. But it's so, I'm like, this was, I, I li- my 17-year-old self would be like, are you st- really? How, what happened? Like, how did you, you know? So it's fun to do this now because it was just no, I mean, so the family band would have been hysterical because it would have been like, well, don't we need to learn something to do that? I mean, there's no beginnings of that in our story at all, you know? Do you remember the light switch moment of, man, I love fill in the blank? Let me tell I didn't never know Phil's music, but I'll tell you, it's some music I did know. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, when I heard More Than a Feeling by Boston... This is amazing. I mean, this dates me. Oh, my God. So much. But now, granted, it was like a greatest hits. Or it was the best songs of 78. Time life. You like it, you love it, you want some more of it. But when that song came on, I remember being at a friend's house and he had one of those Time Life CDs. Which CDs? Were like, What's the CD? <laughs> but it, uh, he played it. And I just remember standing in front of the stereo for like the entirety of the CD. And I mean, yeah, I was like 13, 14. It wasn't like I had never heard music before, but... I don't know. It was like the, right at the beginning of something in me was changing. <laughs> like I, really, I was starting to have these feelings and stuff. I didn't know what to do with and everything. And I just remember standing there listening to that. It was like Dust in the Wind was on that on that that year. What else? American Woman. There was just so many songs that I just remember standing there being like, I. It was like I'd heard music, but not like this before. It had never bounced around in my rib cage like it did that day. And that was really the beginning of me being like, this matters to me more than I think it does other people. Like when I hear music, it does something to me that is not natural. It's not normal. Like I feel a something about it. And that was kind of the beginning of me really getting, you know, like capital I interested in music, you know. Did you see someone perform or did you hear something and then you went, okay, I want to do that? 
No, that was never. I mean, I grew up in tiny town, Mississippi, where my dad was pastoring a church. And so there was there was no, no, no context for that. Zero. I mean, I had never seen a person play a live instrument that would be considered a rock and roll instrument. I grew up like in marching band doing that as, as a drummer, but I had never, you know, other than like a Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith concert growing up in Jackson, Mississippi, we'd drive and see those, but there was no context for me being like, oh, that's something you do. Like that's, that's accessible. I can go do that. So when I moved to Knoxville, I joined a band playing drums and we started playing out and that was kind of my first time going like, oh yeah, this is a thing you can do. Name of the band. Buckle up. It was a Christian man. Fishers of men. (laughs) How is Fisher spelled? Oh no. Thankfully it was normal. Gosh, it wasn't like pH. I'll see your Fishers of men and give you witness. (laughs) Witness with opening with Fishers of men. Concord Baptist youth room. Your ticket covers the seat, but you'll only need the edge. Oh my gosh. Did I, did I lose you? <laughs> That's good. You got me. You got me right in my tickle box. Oh, good gracious. Yeah. So, so we did that. So there wasn't a lot of like, I, you know, that's one of the things that is so much fun about living in Nashville and, and having kids, you know, and raising kids here is it is something I could literally get emotional talking about this. I'm so proud and I'm so thankful that my kids normal is growing up with music always mm. around. And, and I don't mean just like I'm sitting, you know, I'm not like sitting giving concerts to my kids every day, but I just mean that so many of my friends, so much of my community are music makers and are making music around my kids. So they come back to my studio, they, they hear songs. You know, my kids always ask me like, dad, you got any new songs you've been writing that we can hear? And do I play? And then they go to see shows or songs come on the radio and I go, Hey, you know, that's Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so. And they're like, Oh, that's great. Or like, daddy, didn't you write that song? Yeah, I did write Or they, you know, so it's just, it is a gift. I'm so, of all the things I think I've given my kids, one of the things I'm probably the most proud of is that they're growing up in a city where what I do is so normal because I think it's such a profound, music is such a crazy, magical thing. And so I just love that my kids see it as something that's a normal thing you do. It's not like he gets to do that. You know, I have a cousin that played for so-and-so, but it's like so much of their normal life is around it, you know, which I love so much. So, so much. What's better for the soul for you? This comment, ooh, that's a great question from a guest, or ooh, that's a great song from a peer musician. Oh, song. I mean, come on, man. That's crack cocaine. That's just like (laughs) mainline Colombian no sugar. I only say that because, you know, the McConaughey interview comes to mind, and I think you get a two count of, oh, that's a great question. And I was like, yes! Listen, he one of the one of the one of the funniest moments of Dadville <laughs> in this in the whole podcast. <laughs> this makes me laugh. Sorry. So we did the interview with McConaughey, which was obviously this really epic moment. He logs off. John and I stay on, you know, the feed because it's all online. And um, John looks at me. I think it's the very first thing you said. There's kind of quiet. We're just kind of looking at each other, like you know. You just seen Haley's comet passed over and you're just being you just need to respect the moment. He's like, I'm sure you noticed this, but did you notice he said your name twice? And he uh he never said mine. And I we laughed for like minutes because we couldn't help feeling like six year old girls that were just like we just had this, you know, this superstar on or whatever and he was so great. But it's funny because I went back and listened to the interview and and 
you can hear my breath flutter when he says you hear like a little <laughs> you hear me like take a beat because <laughs> it was i was so you know oh my gosh he knows i'm a human even for these waning moments he just acknowledged me it's it's amazing how much you can't shake that even you know living in the world you know that feeling i mean obviously you're around you know, celebrities and whatever all the time, but there's just these moments with certain people that you kind of feel like, oh, oh, okay, hey now. Let's segue into the podcast. Was this something on your radar you always wanted to do, or is this a pandemic-fueled, hey, let's do this? Pandemic podcast. No, it was something I'd thought about doing for a while. I, you know, I think like you, I really love talking to people. I, 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 it's so much joy in my life comes from getting to hang out with friends and uh and i'm a naturally pretty curious guy and so podcast felt like man this would be this feels like it was just like and i had a lot of people say like dude it just feels like this is something you'd love to do i sat with with william morris who i who books me here in nashville and they have a podcast a lady that runs kind of the podcasting stuff kind of all things podcast and so we had this meeting and she was like let me tell you what the world needs zero more of is white guys talking about things <laughs> and i was kind of like Okay. And because I was like, I'm going to do this music thing. And she's like, yeah, no. This is what she said. You got to be able to talk. It needs to be about something you could talk about all the time. Like, what is something else you're passionate about? And I said, you know, I love being a dad. And she's like, that space is amazing. If you feel confident enough, that is a place where there's not a lot of, you know, like you could really have some space there and it not be feel too congested. So I was like, that feels great. I love, and you know, at the risk of sounding cheesy, I just, I, I love championing that ideal too, the dad. And, and it's tricky because, you know, it's like, oh, let me guess, like dads, dads are really suffering out there. It's, and that's not what I'm saying. But I do think, you know, the perception of a dad these days is tricky, you know, I think and much maligned. And so I was excited. So then I had a dear friend I was talking to about it and he's like, dude, you should get John to do that with you. You know, you guys hang out so much anyway. He lives across the street. And it was uh, immediately, I was like, done. That is because I didn't want to do it by myself because I, I just feel like that'd just be too much of me. And so asked John, he was like, let's do it. And so it's been so fun. And I tell you the sneak, and you know, you, you probably know this from all the interviewing you do and hosting. It's, it's crazy how much you learn just osmotically. It's like you can leave it set up to really. You know, like you have a great interviewer time with the guest and you're sort of driving home going, man, I need to think about that. Like, that's a really great point or that's a challenging thought or I should start doing that. And I think that's really been it's just, it's really a selfish, you know, thing that we do. Honestly, I think it's it's fun to hear people share thoughts that I later that day. I'm like, man, I need to think about that. Or that's a challenge to me. So it's a selfish endeavor as much as it is sort of a benevolent thing, you know. Did you have to give something up to make time for this? No, th that that was you said this earlier, Corey. But I think that's the funny thing about the pandemic is there was all this time, and and so we had planned to do it, and, and we started it, you know, in the pandemic. But we had been recording them way before that. But it did sort of give us this wonderful space to to explore that didn't feel too because John, you know, John would have been gone a lot of last fall. He had to cancel a tour. I, I last year was ironically going to be the busiest touring year I'd done in probably a decade. And so I don't know that it would have been as easy to do, but it definitely gave us sort of an easier, you know, launching point because of that. A 
Very Merry Christmas is one of my all-time favorite Christmas records. Question, though. Yeah. What's going on on the album cover of A December to Remember? What's what's really going on with that face? You tell me. <laughs> you tell me. There's something mischievous happening yeah. at that yeah. photo shoot. Well, what happened is the album was going to be called Mischievous Christmas. Yes. And we sent it to, <laughs> we, got, we got it tested and boy it just didn't test well no and so last minute we had to change it to uh december December to remember remember. but you left the photo yeah and i was winking in the original photo and they just photoshopped it to where both eyes were open you know so (laughs) or it was going to be called wink wink nudge nudge and we just couldn't (laughs) i've confessed about stealing from the podcast i'm going to confess i've watched Pastor Phil at least 12 times in one sitting. Ah, there church is me, Brother Pastor Phil looking bottom your music maker. And I'm gonna tell y'all got some sighting news. My favorite magician, Dave Barnes, is gonna be doing one of his music shows up there and at the rhyme and on July 24th in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm so excited. I can't wait to hear him some sing, sing, sing some some songs. Y'all know what them songs are. God gave me youth, or Grace has amazing hands, or my new favorite, the Lord just let me down, maybe. It's got the spirit in that bass line. It's anointed. Listen to me. We're gonna take a bus up there, okay? Herbert, don't you bring none of your non-Christian tapes. I just got that, Michael. The English is buried. Did your nose out the tape deck? It was in there for six years. That's a blessed song, but not that many times. Y'all's too much. Now listen, Pastor Mike is going to be driving all the way up to maybe Shinoba or Tinatina, and then we're going to get him off that Dr. Pepper because he starts swerving, y'all, when he gets too much that sugar in his thing. I think he's mildly diabetic, and aren't we all in some way? Listen, look at the church bulletin in the back of the church for more details. I can't wait to do it, y'all. Because I know that guy, and I grew up in that world, and so yeah. does it hits so close to home. There is a demographic for that guy that is so, so, so specific. And, and, and because, you know, I really love giving the CCM shout-outs, like when he references Michael English or Phillips Craig and Dean, and you just, you, it's like, it just makes that circle so much tighter, but it makes this, if you hit it, you just, it hits, it rings it perfectly. Like you just, and so when I find people who are like, look at me and they don't even laugh, they're just like, I can't tell you what that character has done to me. It almost feels like a ministry. I think the thing that's so tricky about him is, you know, I do all these characters on Instagram and whatever. It's so stupid and silly. He is the one that I think I know so intimately. I have fears that later in my life, if I do him so much, I'll just turn into him. Because, you know, like you sort of channel these characters. And, and so, you know, when I was doing, I did 60 in a row at the beginning of the pandemic because I just thought it would be fun to have these little minute, you know, moments of sort of hilarity for people. But he was the one I just never had to prep for. It was like, I just knew, like, start rolling. He's in there. Just let him out. It was just like, let the caged bird sing. And the other ones, you know, I'd have to kind of do like, who did, who is she married to? Okay, make sure. Okay, that's, and then he was, it just was, it's always just right there. It's like he, I think growing up in small town Mississippi, it's just, God, you just know that guy. So it, it's, it's, it's so much fun to do, but it's also really dangerous because there's a part of me. It's like when people say, don't cross your eyes because they'll get stuck. I sort of feel that way about Pastor Phil. Follow-up question, how close are we to hearing an anchor spot with him? 
I've thought about that. You know, the scary thing is Snapchat. You can put them on Zoom now. So I can pull his filter up. And there have been so many times I'm like, man, if I pulled his filter up and just started doing interviews with him, it would be. He's one of those characters that I feel like if you do him too much, people are like, we don't care about you anymore. Can you just do that from now on? You know, that, that's the problem with anything that really resonates with people is they just don't want you anymore. They're just like, bring me those things and then leave. I dare you to do an entire episode as him. There, I said it. And if it happens, you the heard it here first. The challenge has been issued. Do not tell your guest. Yeah. It's yeah, John. It's Dave's not here. This yeah. is uh, Pastor Phil. Just yeah, something to think about. Yes. <laughs> yes. He has a lot of questions that he interrupts and answers for you. It's like he can't help it. I swear it don't try. You gotta talk about the new record. And boy, do I hear horns. Yep, a lot of brass. Well, Earth, Wind, and Fire hey up in here. Yeah, yeah. We're kicking brass and taking names. We, uh, you know, th- this album is really interesting because I decided to do a song a month starting last September. And uh, do you remember? And uh, and it was really fun. It was really taxing, which I don't know why I didn't see that coming, but um, it was really fun. But we got toward the middle of the summer and I was like, I think, I think I need a break. This is really, cause I, I did most of them myself, like in the studio here and wrote most of them by, my, by myself. So it was, it was really fun, very productive, very fulfilling work, but you know, it's just a lot. It's a lot to feel like you got to write one song every month. That's really good. Cause you know, usually, and you know this well, but usually what you do as an artist is you write a bunch of songs, you take them to your producer or whoever's going to help you filter them. And then you go, hey, out of those 30 songs, out of those 25 songs, here's the 11. Go record them. But this is like every month, you're like, I just got to hit one on the head, which you'd think would be easier, but it's, it's pretty challenging, uh, or it was for me at least. And so I kind of got to the midsummer, and I was like, okay, I think I'm going to be done with this soon. And uh, management was like, let's just turn it into an EP. And then it's like it can live and sort of have some – the thing that's scary, though, as you know, is when you're doing that, it's like, are these going to work together? Like, does this make sense? Is it – because – the fun of creating that way is they can each live their little lives. You don't have to worry about the context at all. You know, you can write a song that has nothing to do with anything and it didn't have to, because boom, here it is. Here it is, everybody. There's your one little song that's dancing and funky and doesn't need to go. Why is it up against a acoustic ballads? <laughs> when I have great thoughts, that's the noise that happens. Um, I, and I, I completely have, believe that actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's something I had uh, Apple install here in Green Hills to me. So I'm I'm really excited about it. You know, I'm excited that it, I'm I'm thrilled that I hope people still want to hear collections of songs. You know, I think that's one of the hard things for us dinosaurs that have been doing this for 20 years is I love that people are, you know, love the one-offs and stuff, but I just like I like collections. You know, I like context. I like some sense of going on a journey, you know, five songs or 10 or whatever, but I'm glad that there still seem to be people that listen to my music like, no, we we like records. I'm like, okay, good. Because I like the one song thing and I'm sure I'll do a lot more of it. But, you know, it's like when you were sort of bred in a certain way, you you know, you sort of, that's what you want to do. You're like, I came up doing this thing and I want to keep doing this thing. So hopefully, and and I think people, you know, still have a space for that. I'm going to give you my top five Dadville episodes in order. Top five. In at number five, I'm going to go John Foreman. Yeah. In at number four, Matt Carney. Yes. 
In at number yep. three, and I love him, uh, Andrew Rip. Gosh, how, man. Yes, amen. In at number two, and I was making such a maniacal smile when I heard <laughs> the Drew Holcomb episode. Similar to remember smile. When he launches into that worst show story at the oh, end, man. it's the best. It's the, the best. best. It is the best. And the I man, make it, him tell that story. It, it's like he's a little monkey in my pocket when we're hanging out and there's other people there. I'm like, hey, please, please just tell the worst story. And he's always like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and then the Matthew McConaughey was so good because I had the audiobook, which is the smarter purchase. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I, so I had finished it and then I heard your interview and I was like, this is, I know everything he's talking about. I get every reference. So well done, my friend. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm proud of this. that. That is the thing that's funny because when you think about those five episodes, I have very different things that I like about each of them. Like, in other words, it's not like everyone had profound thoughts or everybody had spiritual thoughts or everybody was really funny. It's like every episode is so fun because they turn into different things. You know, like Rip was so profound and vulnerable and encouraging and, and sort of, uh, you know, ex exhortive, exhortational. And then, um, and then, you know, Matthew McConaughey is what he's, he's just what he is. He has these hysterical stories and little moments of wisdom and nuggets. And Carney's was, you know, I think about his parents, like his mom being the mermaid. There's just all these weird, you know, it's like Drew's was really intense and powerful yet hysterical. So it's really fun because it's not a sort of, there's not a plumb line that's the same, you know, through all of them. It's like, oh yeah, that's what you get. It's like, man, it, who knows, you know? Final question, host of Dadville, musician, <laughs> funny man. Yes. Ask me something. Oh, okay. What would 17-year-old um, Corey uh, think of um, what you get to do now? What would the 17-year-old version of me think? Yeah. My friend, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would be caught off guard. 17 years old, graduated high school, saw my first real rock concert, walked into a radio station and said, Man, Wait, who, you can't skip over who the who the first show was. Aerosmith and Dokken. Oh, rocking like Dokken. I walked into a radio station in my hometown and said, may I please see what you do? And then before I left, he said, I'd like to offer you a part-time job. It's overnight. No one wants the shift. And I'm going to give you... $3.35 an hour. You were like, beam me up, Scott. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's so amazing. That's so amazing. Isn't it crazy? I think that's such an important thing. You know, I feel like the older I get, thankfulness is just such a massive deal. It's just such a, it's a great equalizer for me because I can get so obsessed with what I'm doing and what I'm about to do and is what I'm doing good. And what, but I'm like, hold on 17 year old Dave Barnes would, would be beside himself. He would be floating to think I get to do this for a living. And so in those moments, I'm like, gosh, man, I wish it was working like this or look what that guy just did or look what she's doing. Or, I'm like, hold on, man. Like that's the wrong script. Like, like think about what you get to do, how amazing this is. It's such an amazing gift, you know? The name of the new album is called? It's called Notes from Paris. I got to tell you one more. Can I tell you one more exciting thing that's happening this fall? Yes. For the first time ever, I'm releasing my stand-up record. I have a, a completely... Uh, it was in my notes. I, I was yeah. almost afraid to ask. <laughs> it was in my notes. It's got devil horns around it. 
I was like, do I dare ask about this? Like, are you ever going to put out a record? Yeah, yeah. And and I'm I'm rarely the guy that's like, hey, can I add one more thing? But I'm really excited about it because it is such a new, different thing. We so I've been doing these stand-up shows kind of intermittently for the last like 15 years. My manager came to me probably five years ago and said, "Hey, I think you should really give this like a good college try. Like, put together a set, let's tour it, see how it goes." So. I did probably 10 to 12 shows. Well, that's, that's probably 10. And um, over probably a month or two. And it was just comedy. There was I didn't take a guitar. There was no... It would last an hour 15 some nights. Annie, my wife, came to one of the shows and she was like, you are so fun. That's way too long. That's way too long. You need to cut 30 minutes out. And I was like, are you serious? She's like, yes, it's too much. So I, you know, I kind of whittled it down over those 10, 8 to 10 shows to about 45, 50 minutes. And then the next year, and that was kind of all of a all of warm up for me doing these shows. I did a tour called the tour where I sing songs and do stand up tour because we had a few people show up to those stand up tours and they were so mad because they were like, "Hey, dude, where's your guitar?" I was like, "What's well, a stand up show?" And they were like, "Oh, I didn't know that." And I was like, "Well, we need to make this very clear moving forward." So I did forty five minutes of stand up and then I would do a break and I do, or I'm sorry, forty five minutes of music and then a break and then forty five minutes stand up. It was so much fun. I did a whole tour of that. And uh, did the rhyme in here in Nashville. It was just a blast. During that sort of warm-up, getting it down and tight, I did the City Winery uh, here in Nashville. It was probably three or four years ago. And it was really, I was really proud of the show. We ended up recording it, and we did video of it on the whole thing. I was going back through actually relearning a lot of the jokes because I did a, a private stand-up thing here in Nashville a couple months ago. And it was like a 45-minute set. So I was like, I got to sort of remember some of these jokes. And so... I, I watched it and I was like, God, this is really funny. Like, I mean, there's probably 10 minutes that's not hysterical, but I was like, I, I really feel like this is funny. So I reached out to management and I was like, could, could we put this out? They're like, yes, we can put it out. So I kind of edited it and we turned it into a, to an album. Like, a, it's not video, it's just the audio. It's coming out in October, which I'm, I'm really excited and sort of nervous about. Because the thing that, that happens, and you know well about this, Corey, like once you put out material, it's actually the end of it. You know, we had Nate Bargatze on Dadville, and that was such a fascinating lesson for me as a stand-up guy. He was like, you tour it, and then you record it, and then it's done. Like, those bits are done. Because once the masses have heard them, you, you, that's the thing about stand-up. It's the opposite of music is, you know, you got to retire the jokes. So I, was, I know now, I'm like, man, once this gets out, I can't just, like, rock up and be like, okay, you guys, you remember the one? <laughs> you know, because everybody's like, let's give us new stuff, you know. So I don't know how that's going to go. What's the name of the record? It's called It's Hard Being an Idiot, or It's Hard to Be an Idiot. I think is what I'm calling it. <laughs> because the other thing, too, is, Corey, I was like, I, I don't need people mistaking this. Because it's, you know, it's, it's audio. It's not video. So it's going to sit up there on Spotify. And I was like, I don't need people mistaking this for more music. And then they're mad at me all over again, you know? Just an idea. Grab that uh, Christmas album and sharpie it all up and let that be the cover for it fake eyelashes that's actually a really great idea i've not, I've not thought of that oh i've not thought of that. that's really good that's yours because i i love you and i'm proud of you and to steal your song i'm crazy about you david probably retired that song <laughs> no 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 I, I still rock that thing yes.
You're so good, man. All right, Dave. I've eaten up way too much of your time. You're the best. No, you're good, man. It's it's so good to see you. You as well, and I uh, I can't wait. Let me know. Me. Are you ever down in Nashville? I am. Well, let me know, and let's grab coffee or lunch. Please. All right, later. Good to see, see you, Corey. What else with Corey Mann on the Studio DNA Podcast Network? Leave some feedback. Write a review. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. What else with Corey Mann on the Studio DNA Podcast Network? 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial.